how are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Jocelyn. How are you doing? I'm very, very well, thank you. I need to um, I need to apologise to you because we've only met once very briefly and I, I harassed you to be on my podcast. I said, all that stuff you do, I need to talk about it immediately. So, um, so we actually, <laughs> usually when I speak with my um, guests, I'm kind of like, yeah, so we met X amount of years ago and then we've done this and we've done that. And I'm like, yeah, I actually don't know this guy, but it's all good. <laughs> but um, so tell me tell me a little bit about what you do um so i am a transformational therapist and coach um i mean primarily i use hypnotherapy as it's a technique called rapid transformational therapy and um, i mean everything i do really is directed towards creating a shift in my client's mindsets um yeah so i mean usually i like to work with people who are experiencing chronic stress so whether that be um, just being overly stressed at work or generalized anxiety or they've been struggling with depression and really trying to release that and radically change their mindset so that they just live life with a lot more freedom. Okay, cool. And do you, I mean, for me, I think that definitely more recently in the last maybe five, six, seven years, that has become more prominent in general would you agree with that or yeah I think um I think there's probably two things that I'd say are going on I think one thing certainly is there's a lot more awareness of mental health and um I guess awareness not just at the individual level but kind of friends being willing to have those sorts of conversations with each other and call call things out and and support each other um, where I guess maybe there's a bit more denial in the past. And then um, I think also increasingly things are, like our lifestyles are a lot more fast paced. There's a lot more, um, a lot more FOMO, I guess, fear of missing out and comparing oneself. So all of these environmental factors are kind of at play as well. So I think there's those, those sorts of things I think are leading to this being quite a, a hot topic, sort of the idea of whether it's chronic stress, anxiety, depression, yeah. or mental health. Yeah. And I think, um, I think as well, yeah, as you said, it's something that people used to sort of keep to themselves now and, uh, sorry, it's, it's keep to themselves in the past. Um, and also now, as you say, with the FOMO, you see on social media, you know, what what's happening. Or I remember um, one woman saying that, you know, her daughter was upset because all of her friends were posting about this a birthday party that she hadn't been invited to and I was like oh god you know she's only about 12 or 13 that's so hard <laughs> um so uh so yeah it's it's um yeah it's definitely tougher uh nowadays for for everyone for sure um so you um had when I when I when I accosted you and, and asked you to be on here and then I stalked you obviously um you uh, uh, an article on your website uh, I thought was just very, very cool. And it was um, three things you need to know about your mind. Um, so do you want to go through those those three points? And I might kind of stop you at various um, stages just to chat through some, some pieces. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so I think when it comes to the mind, we can get, I guess, kind of overwhelmed with a lot of information out there. So the kind of main thrust of the article was to give, I guess, a few kind of key points that make it quite simple and also actionable. So the first thing that I mentioned in the article is that your mind responds to the pictures it sees and the words that it hears. So it doesn't actually know the difference between 
images that you play to it through your imagination and actual things that you experience. Um, and essentially that's the communication mechanism. It's whatever, whatever your focus is on, um, whether that's on your imagination, on particular images and particular words that you're using, or whether it's something that's actually going on out in reality, that's what's being received. And that essentially is affecting your entire mind. It's not just sort of, it's not just sort of a compartmentalized thing. It's very much received in its entirety. Um, yeah, I think um, I came across something recently, actually. I've, I've come across things before, but uh, this article mentioned that there are specific numbers around training, whether it's visualization of training, um, which I think is obviously relevant to your world, or whether it's your physical training. And this particular study concluded that working out achieves 30% increases in strength, but there was a cohort that just imagined themselves doing that training and managed to achieve a 16% increase in strength. So, I mean, there's obviously disparity there, yeah, but it's not Yeah, for sure. Um, we, I, had, um, I, I run a, a Women in Fitness Summit each year, and um, one of the ladies that spoke last year at the summit, um, Katie, she um, is a sports psychologist and I've worked with her um, in the past and, and still do. Um, and she was talking about, um, I can't quite remember the details of the study, but it was um, about some piano practice and how, you know, one group practiced every day and then the other group just imagined practicing. And, you know, both kind of when they then were tested in whatever realm and they kind of mapped their brain activity and it was the exact same response as those actually physically practiced um to those that just imagined it in their brain which which still and I, I know that it works and I know that it's true but it still completely blows me away that you can kind of imagine or visual visualize or feeling eyes stuff that you're actually not doing but that's got enough power to actually make your body and your mind think you are doing it that's crazy how do I get stronger by 16% by not even exercising immense I'm gonna bottle that up and sell it <laughs> um okay cool and then so that that's the that's the um first piece so essentially um your mind responds to what it sees and, and the words the words it uses um so with that, I guess when you're working with clients, let's say if you um, were working with an athlete, for example, um, what would you, I guess, what would be like uh, red flags in terms of how they're using their minds or how they're using their words that you feel wouldn't get them the results that they might be, be hoping for? Like, how do you then kind of go, right, well, this is where they are. This is where I want to get them to. What, what's that process? Sure. So I think um, one thing I should definitely have maybe added on to the pictures and words thing is that it's what's important is the emotions that those things evoke. So, I mean, as, a, as an extreme example, I mean, two people can say that they're confident about the exact same thing, but for one person, that might be triggering all sorts of negative emotions, but for another person, that'll be quite true and making them actually sort of feel the success element of, of that thing that they're claiming to be confident about. So when it comes to the red flags, that's the sort of thing that I'll really be trying to focus on. So 
trying to really anchor i mean usually i start off by having a north star as some sort of goal or intention and then in 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 someone articulating that goal or intention you can usually see where someone feels that they are blocked off or they're not quite convinced about something either in the tone of their voice or they might use words around sort of trying or efforting or not really quite being there um maybe some sort of sense of needing to prove themselves and again there's so when someone says i need to prove myself sometimes it's very much in a, with a sense of doubt that's where something needs to be picked up on if someone says i need to prove myself because people just don't believe it and that they're actually quite cool and calm and collected and centered about it then it's for them it's more a case of well it, it's in my head it's already done i just need to actually demonstrate it so it, it's the words the words are actually it's more about how the individual takes on those words and what what sort of emotions that evokes and i guess when i'm working with a client let's say again sort of going tying it back to to your example of let's say it's an athlete and let's say they've got a particular goal in mind i would i'd be very much zoning in on the areas where it's it, it's i have a i mean this is kind of i guess the art of the therapy as well kind of where you sense that someone isn't really entirely entirely convinced um and try to unpick what might be kind of behind that maybe it's a maybe it's a past maybe it's something in the past where they weren't successful and so they're not sure if they can recreate it or maybe having doubts yeah okay really, and also really um just so, just um yeah, you know talking about that kind of idea of success um i definitely so i'm definitely have been i feel like i have recovered but it does come back um definitely been guilty of uh, being a perfectionist in in the past uh, whether that's in in training whether that's in um work whatever whatever kind of area of my life um, and, and definitely when I was working with Katie that was something that she picked up pretty much straight away uh, and she said oh you know would, would you say you're a bit of a perfectionist and and I and I said uh maybe and I know that that is for me and 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 for anybody that I work with in in, in training and sport um that is a huge red flag because there's there's this huge amount of pressure on yourself to be perfect but actually you have to be willing to fail to make those mistakes to actually learn from that to improve which we all know i th i think but if you have that kind of perfectionist mindset it's so hard to just be exposed and raw and make mistakes and not to think you know oh my god everybody is everybody's laughing at me now or that that was the, that was the one thing i used to think about training even if i was training in the gym or um if i was competing in my head, it was, they think I'm rubbish. They think I'm this. They think I'm not good enough. They think about what I used to be able to do. And, you know, they're not thinking about me at all. Sorry, Joss. <laughs> That's lovely that you think that. But actually, they're not thinking about you at all. They're probably thinking about themselves and they're caught up in their own in their own heads around that. Um, one other thing I was going to ask you, just, just so, the, so, so you get them to sort of, uh, I guess have their goal. They have their intention. I love the word intention because to me it had it has uh, less pressure in it somehow than a than a goal. And I know that goals can be kind of you know flexible. They're not set in stone. But an intention just seems to me more positive somehow. It's kind of like you've got your own back. 
if that makes sense. Um, but um, so they set their intention and then from there you work back and find those, would you call them pain points or not really or soz? <laughs> You you were you were worried you were worried you were yeah, going to go off I mean, on a tangent. Hello. <laughs> so, so there's quite a few things that you've said that I've like, slow down, girl. As well, but but to answer, <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. So I think, I pain points. Yes, I think usually what I'm trying to what I'm trying to find are. So, so there's this there's this phrase which usually sounds I feel like to the to to sort of the ordinary person it sounds extreme but it's a therapist word which is just using this idea of trauma and anything that hasn't fully been let go of can really be considered a trauma. So when someone's set an intention, let's say, and I'm trying to drill down as to what's going on as to why is that intention not being fulfilled or whatever not feel that it's kind of in the flow of happening um are we trying to find yeah i guess what's what are the things that really trigger them and then underlying that the reason they're triggersome is because there's probably some sort of event in the past that is traumatic um yeah so that's that's usually the the sort of the sort of process uh yeah, does that does that answer your question on that one? And in terms of just want to pick up on something else that you're saying, because I think that's quite useful, what you're saying about perfectionism and this idea of having an intention. I think exactly like what you were saying, that when you're a perfectionist, you don't allow that room for failure. And if you don't have that room for failure, that you don't we, we don't we typically have this mindset that you can grow and only succeed but that's not the case. Growth actually requires a lot of failure. Um, I mean, I think, I think it was uh, Edison once he was interviewed and someone asked him, well, what, what, weren't you disheartened when you sort of, you're experimenting trying, with all the different materials and you found out none of them could actually, weren't, weren't right for the light bulb? And, he, and he's, his response was, well, no, each time I knew what doesn't work. And and we kind of we kind of neglect to understand that failure is actually a critical component to growth. And I think also that kind of that ties back into the goals versus intentions thing. That a goal can feel very. But this is also why I like to use the word intention because typically yeah. when we think about yeah. goals, or also what if I succeed? I think that's a big one as well kind of because you uh, say when I'm Whereas working with clients, I always have to warn them that let, let's say um, they are looking to lose I don't know a stone in weight or something like that. Um, and I will obviously, you know, as a coach, be extremely supportive in their goal and we um, or their intention, and we will kind of lay everything out, kind of reverse engineer what we need to do. Um, and then I kind I have to say to them, look, I just need you to know that um, you may have the support from those around you, but you may not also. Um, because what generally happens is, uh, you know, let's say Jenny has decided she's going to lose a stone or two, and um, Jenny has needed to maybe lose that weight for let's say five or six years, and her friends are used to her as she is fine. Then Jenny tells her friends, "I'm, you know, I'm going to, you know, go to the gym. I'm going to, you know, look after my food, all of that." And her friends are like, "Oh yeah, right, Jenny. Whatever. Let's see when we go for a drink at the weekend." Uh, then Jenny carries on. She's following the plan. 
she starts to lose some weight. Her friends go, oh, Jenny, you know, you're doing great. Well, you know, well done. Gosh, we didn't think you could do it. And then Jenny carries on. She knows what she's doing. She's got the support of me as her coach. Um, and she continues to change and continues to transform. And at that stage, her friends are like, oh, Jenny, you've gone too far. Um, and she still isn't at her, you know, where she wants to be, but all of a sudden they feel really uncomfortable about how she's changing. Um, and I think that, that, you know, I really, I I kind of forewarn my clients about that, that, you know, you really have to be prepared that what you want and achieving your goal might be really rubbish for other people. (laughs) And even though it's their own stuff that they have to deal with, it can be, it's a, it can be a bit of a letdown for the person that's achieved their goal because they're kind of like, are, God, I thought people would be happy for me. But actually they're reflecting then on, on some kind of maybe discomfort with themselves or whatever. So I think, I think the fear of failure is, is something is huge. Um, but fear of success is also a big thing. I know for sure in, in the past um, when I've, uh, I don't know, when I was, when I was young, I used to Irish dance randomly. I'm half Irish. Uh, sorry, Irish dance for 15 years. Lol. Um, and um, I did, I did, uh, I did pretty well in competitions, but some of the parents were absolutely awful and I kind of it it was a little bit like water off a duck's back for me which was fine but it could have been different um but I still have a slight association with success and how that might be an issue for other people and how they may not be positive so um so I think that's it's it's a tough one because there's so so much change happens and then you have to deal with everyone else's (laughs) crap as well yeah absolutely absolutely I think um well, when you were when you were kind of outlining the topics for today, one thing kind of came into my mind, which is at one at some point I kind of thought of tying it all back to. I think there are two primary fears that we have. One is obviously everyone has a fear of dying, but another fear is this idea that you won't be accepted or you won't be loved as you are, and I think that feeds both the fear of failure and the fear of success, because on the fear of success side, it's I mean it's that whole sort of it's lonely at the top thing and it like you said it brings out sort of other people's insecurities that maybe if, if you're if you happen to be someone who's actually moving forward on your intentions and they're not someone who's doing that it kind of pulls out all their insecurity as well and that that ends up being projected onto you but um but yeah that kind of then feeds that one of that, that overriding fear of everyone wants to be accepted and loved for who they are Okay, so what's the second point of three things we need to know about our mind? Yeah, sure. So the second point is that your mind does precisely what it thinks that you want it to do. So what this means is it's almost as though your mind can go off and do things as though that you didn't want it to. I think quite often we might sometimes feel like it behaves like that. And... This point is about, well, it's how you communicate with your mind that that kind of drives the picture that it builds up. So to get it kind of very gritty, if you're sat at a restaurant and you're looking at a menu and your intention is to lose weight by eating more veggies and not eating as much carbs, then you might be saying to yourself, I shouldn't eat the pizza, but I really want to eat the pizza. And you might be saying, I should eat the salad, but I really don't want it. 
and what you're actually telling your mind there is well this pizza is really going to be pleasurable and this salad's really going to be painful and so those are the points that it's going to take on it's going to associate the pizza with pleasure and it's going to associate the salad with pain and so just like a magnet it's going to go exactly where you've told it to go right how do we stop that Sook? that's terrible <laughs> Well, my mind that mean... does that all the time. <laughs> pizza, ice cream, pizza, Communicate. Ice cream. <laughs> well, I guess like, firstly, once you realise what you're doing, you can then just turn it the right way around, I guess, right? And maybe, and I think turning, well, let's go back to the pizza example, right? So if you really follow it through, you might say, I shouldn't eat the pizza, but I really want to eat the pizza. But actually, what I really don't want even more than I want the pizza is I don't want to go backwards. I actually want to make progress. So what I actually want is to fulfill my intention. And so I want the, that more than I want the pizza. So that automatically then kind of gives you something bigger to gravitate towards. And then on the flip side as well, you can kind of say, well, but when it comes to the salad, you can, because there's always, there's always something that you're repelled from and there's always something that you gravitate towards. So you want to, you want to sort of notice where I guess you've got things topsy-turvy and just kind of reset how you're, how you're thinking about these things. Because I feel like the strength of the pizza, <laughs> um, you know, so it's, it's, so I guess, because I think, you know, that voice in your head is saying, you know, I know I should have this, but I really want this. And then it's taking that next breath to think about, but this is what I, ultimately, this is what I really want. And so I'm going to make that decision. And I feel like that kind of next connection is, is almost broken. Like, so how, how would people make sure that that's the way they're thinking? Is it, is it, do you um, plan before you go out to eat or because I feel like sometimes just the voice in your head of like oh no I really want I, I know I should have this but I'm going to have this instead and that's it done and you're already into it is there a way to kind of prepare yourself um, to you know ask that next question or or have that next thought around but actually this is what I really want Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, my response to this would be twofold. So I think that's a, that's a great point. So I think when that urge to eat the pizza comes up, one of the reasons it's so powerful is that it's because you've been, you've, you've had that thought of, I really like eating pizza quite a lot of times. And so that pattern is so ingrained in you, which is why that sort of urge comes up. That's the sort of autopilot program that you've got. And it's, if you kind of recognize and you know that this is where, this is why those urges are so strong, then I guess don't expect it to be otherwise. Don't expect it to be weaker. And so if you don't expect it to be weaker, then it does help to, to pre-plan, to know, well, when I'm going to be out and about, I'm going to have these sorts of, these sorts of um, triggers in my environment. So it might, might be everyone else is eating pizza or it might just sort of who you're around and what's, what's in your environment. I'm going to, they might set you off. 
and again and also so what you're saying about having some sort of idea in advance of well this is how my day is going to unfold and this is these are decisions that i'd like to make and having the idea in advance that kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier about having those pictures and words and having that mental rehearsal because if you've rehearsed how it's going to play out and you've rehearsed how you're going to feel about it playing out that you're going to feel really great because that's actually going to be moving you towards your intentions so rehearsing that and having that plan in advance does definitely have, have an influence on on how, how things play out i was just going to say so that kind of goes back to that uh, number one basically um so you're kind of visualizing how that's gonna be is that right yeah so you can so you can use that so i mean for, uh, from from what i heard from what you were saying is this idea of if you plan in advance will that alleviate things and i think it certainly will I think if you accompany the plan with sort of just that mental rehearsal, um, and I, I guess you you might sort of, I guess you employ the same sort of things when it comes to um, training or, or actually competing as well, that having that mental rehearsal as to how, how things are going to play out definitely makes it sort of, it, 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 then you're kind of priming yourself essentially, right, to, uh, to make the right call. And I think one thing that, I mean, if you don't, if you happen to kind of, just reach for the pizza and end up eating it and then you kind of realize afterwards i think that in itself is kind of part of the learning curve that you realize oh i just kind of did that on autopilot without without realizing what what actually happened there so so you can both kind of i guess regroup after the fact to kind of think through well what was it that actually happened as well as then think well next time in this situation this is how i want to this is how i want to behave and this is how i want to feel about it as well so you can kind of just take some time out of it, I guess, both after, let's say you've played through a day and then when you're about to play through the next day, you can use it in both of those ways. Yeah, no, they're really, really good points. And um, I think in, in general, like as you were talking, just that awareness piece is really big because let's say, yeah, you do have that pizza and then before you know it, it's gone, you're like, whoa, that just happened. Um, and I think that I'm always kind of harping on about how we're really, really disassociated from just what we're what we're actually going through so I always tell people and um, if they can to let's say if they wanted to you know look after their food to track their food to track their training to track their sleep like the more information you have you know about yourself for yourself the more you can go okay well do you know what this training session didn't go great or do you know what I was feeling really really sluggish but oh do you know what I actually didn't have any breakfast and lunch was super light and it was on the run so I didn't even have the chance to digest it properly and when they have that kind of record of everything that they're do that they're doing or everything that they're going through they've just got more information to play with to move forward um and also yeah there's a lady that I'm working with at the moment and we're just trying to um you know look look at her food and and make changes to that and the the job that she has requires her to travel um a fair amount um throughout the year but she has these two intense periods um in the year of of uh, 3 weeks and that's where she's she's probably getting 3 or 4 hours sleep each night um it's super high pressured um and actually when I started working with her we, she was just about to go into that phase of work. Um, so I said, actually, this is perfect because what we can do, you know, we were, we're in touch on a daily basis. She was tracking what she was eating, how she was feeling. Um, and then with that information, uh, we are able to make a plan then to 
prep her as best as we can for the next time she goes into that manic phase and of course it's not perfect she's not getting enough sleep um you know some of the foods that she has access to aren't ideal but we're almost making the best of a really stressful situation so at least the next time that she goes into that she's like right I've got my plan yes this is not like when I'm at home in London and I have more control over everything but this is the absolute best um that I can do uh you know for this this period of three weeks it's the kind of optimal like the most optimum I can be um for this period and then of course we also deal with then the kind of um come down as well when she gets back and and it's a lot about kind of sleeping and um you know just trying to kind of get her body back to where it was before she before she left um so I think yeah just just the awareness of right this happened okay now what is is huge so okay um I always say huge I need to stop saying that then I'll say, if I, if I try and not say huge, I go, it's really big, or I'll go really major. I just need to just remove those words. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Maybe sorry. they are big, huge, and major. <laughs> All the things. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, and then the the final piece, point three, about what we need to know about our mind. Yeah, so your mind gravitates towards what it's familiar with. So this ties back into something I did mention just a little bit earlier, but essentially our brains and bodies both adapt themselves to make something that we do repeatedly as easily as possible. So I think this is an obvious truth when it comes to sort of <clears throat> exercise in the body that whatever you repeatedly do is going to be a movement or an action that is just easier, is more straightforward, is kind of, it's either, I guess this notion of muscle memory or however you think about it, it just becomes something that's easier and it's absolutely true when it comes to the mind as well the, the brain adapts and it creates neural pathways according to things that you're doing more frequently and things that you're doing less frequently so even if it's something that you that you regularly do <clears throat> sorry <laughs> if you um if you stop doing that activity there'll, there'll immediately be some sort of pruning of those neural pathways and the stuff that you do most often will kind of essentially your brain kind of turns those pathways into uh, motorways or highways so essentially that's high speed that's the sort of stuff that can happen very quickly very easily without requiring any thought at all um it's almost just sort of you see the trigger and you just do that thing it's just innate um so yeah so this is quite important because going back to that pizza example if you kind of reach for the slice and you ate it without realizing oh hold on I'm actually making changes here um it's because your brain is adapted to do that that's just instinct this is what's good this is what I like this is what I'm going to do and it just does it but it does it in a flash um so yeah that's that's pretty much what this part and what do you think about um Let's just say, and I've definitely been guilty of, of doing this. Um, so let's just say you you, you um, kind of create a new habit or start a new habit. Um, and it's, it's all going along well. And it's nothing kind of too big. It's manageable to do. And then all of a sudden you just stop doing it. And if you just carried on doing it, it would have been awesome. Except you're just like, do you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to not do this or not let, let's say uh even something as simple as, as mobility or stretching or something and you do it daily for i don't know 
15 days, 16 days. If you keep on doing that for, I don't know, a few more months, then your mobility is going to change. Is, it, is that a thing? Because I definitely, I'll get, I'll be like, right, I'm going to, you know, I'm start, going to start doing this and I'll, and I'll do it and then I'll just let it drop off. Why does that happen to me, Suk? <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a very good question. So, there can be quite a few things that are going on there, but essentially in the early stages, you're mainly operating from from your conscious, right? So until it's really kind of embedded in you, 15 days won't, won't it won't be on autopilot by 15 days. Um, and that's kind of, this is kind of where you, you need to sort of either consciously push through for long enough such that it just becomes innate, or you need to really communicate with your subconscious mind and and there might be there's essentially two things that might be going going on again kind of going back to the the pain pleasure thing so it might be that you've done it for 15 days but you're still seeing it as something which is painful or it's compromising something else which is a desire and then there's that conflict in your subconscious mind which is well hold on we're doing something here fine you've chosen to do it but actually what you've told me, me being the subconscious mind in this context is that you don't like doing this. So I'm going to make sure you don't do it. Um, <laughs> so, so there might be a bit of that going on. And on the flip side, it might also be that you haven't really, you haven't really kind of gotten it sort of, I guess, into, into your kind of, on a feeling level into yourself, you haven't gotten it into yourself that you really want to do this continuously. It's so it hasn't really become like a something that you gravitate towards. It's not something that you're hungry for. So yeah, yeah. So, so it hasn't become a habit, or yeah. And the reason it hasn't become a habit yet is because there's, there might be that stuff that's going on at a subconscious level that you're both that, that you're that you're not aware of, and where you haven't kind of made the switch. Um, so usually, usually there's something like something on that level that's going on. I would say, and. Yeah. <laughs> so if you so if you um so if you kind of stop let's let's say I'm going to use that mobility um example again. So let's say I'm doing it for 15 days and then I stop doing it. How do I then try and figure out why I've stopped doing it? Am I looking at fears around it? Am I looking at like how like how do you how do you work that out for yourself? So what what I would usually do for things like for things like that. So I I'm kind of I'm gonna treat this separately to how I would I guess consider a a larger kind of habit as part of the sort of therapy side of things that I do. So if I'm if I'm just identifying for myself what's going on, I typically keep a journal. So I guess what you were saying is for your clients, you advocate that they track all the sorts of things that they do and how they're feeling on different days. I usually keep a journal of what's what's on my mind and what I've been doing that particular day. So that will kind of help me troubleshoot if I'm feeling how I'm feeling about certain aspects on certain days and kind of drill down as to what's what might be going on. And usually I'll kind of just, I guess, brainstorm. So I stopped doing my mobility. I haven't been doing it for a few days now. Why might that be the case? And it might be for me. I'm someone who, well, if I've gotten to a level where I'm, so I'm, I might have started doing the mobility because 
um, I noticed that my hips were a lot more, uh, just a lot more tense than usual. And if it's a bit uncomfortable whilst I've been sitting, so I decided I was going to take on this mobility routine. 15 days later, I actually feel really good. Um, mobility when I'm squatting is like great as well. So I just don't really feel like I need it. So it's kind of a bit of that hubris setting in that actually I just need to get away from that pain. And now I'm kind of away from it. I don't really feel like there's enough impetus. So for me, I'm, that's, I know that that's something that I have, that I have a bit of a propensity towards when it comes to, to exercise. And I noticed that from, from my journaling. If I, if I kind of journal about certain, like my, my sort of activities and I kind of dropped off on the training side of things, usually it's because I'm far, in a, I'm far away enough from my pain, but I'm not really, I'm not necessarily something big enough to work towards. Um, so, so I, what I kind of find is, yeah, so on, on something like that, I would, I think having, just spending a bit of time breaking down what it might be, uh, a kind of setting, trying to, trying to reset your motivations that will kind of be okay. No, I like useful. that a lot. That's, and, and just, yeah, you're right. Just actually sitting down having that conversation with yourself. Okay. Why, why am I not doing this anymore? And I think that's a really, really common thing in a lot of people, um, let's say again, when it comes to something like weight loss, like they start to lose the weight and they're like, I have so got this. And then old, old habits creep back in because they've started to see change. They're like, yep, cool. I'm on it. Oh, so I can do this now, or I can do that now. So, um, and someone once said to me, new, new level, new devil. Um, so it's like you achieve something and then another little voice pops up and is like, Hey, I'm just gonna see what I can do to throw you off course here. Um, okay, cool. Um, let's uh, talk a little bit about, um, so obviously you work with people, uh, around stress and anxiety, um, a lot as well. And I, um, I think I definitely, um, know that I, I don't necessarily feel like I can get stressed. Um, I think, you know, kind of outside of the, the natural uh, stresses of, of London life and the, the hecticness of that. But, but anxiety is definitely something that I sometimes can feel. Um, how, what, how, do you, how do you work with people around that? And, and I know I've certainly worked with some people who have, you know, such you know, anxiety affects them so much that they, they, they may not even want to step outside the door, uh, which is hugely limiting. So what, what kind of, um, how, how do you work with people around that? So, yeah, so, um, I think everyone's anxiety is quite unique to them. And I mean, if I kind of outline, I guess my, my process is probably better than sort of, I guess, trying to identify what the, this kind of generalized source of anxiety is so i mean the way i'll try typically work with someone is trying to figure out i guess initially before i've actually before i even do any work as a in a hypnotherapy context is trying to really very much get a good understanding of what is what it is that's going on with them what are the situations in particular that might be triggering it if it's if it's kind of just if it's a generalized thing that's always there or if there are any times where it's kind of dulled down or whether there's some relief and usually that gives you a clue as to what are the environmental factors at play that might be setting it off and that then kind of informs essentially in a hypnotherapy context I'm the way the way that my my method works is you very quickly are able to 
dialogue with the subconscious mind and get to understand what the original traumas that are kind of leading to that worry are. So, so essentially the format of a, of a hypnotherapy session will be getting into hypnosis, which essentially is, I mean, all hypnosis is actually self-hypnosis. So people are fully there. They're just in a subdued state where all of the conscious noise that's, that's sort of typically they're involved, that sort of consumes most of their mind is subdued. And then when that's subdued, you can then make requests or offer suggestions to your subconscious mind. And you can very clearly just sort of say, well, what's, what is the underlying, what's going on behind this anxiety or worrying in this particular situation? And essentially your, your mind will bring up the memories that are most relevant to that. And so you'll kind of get a few, you essentially build up a picture of, of what's going on through doing that a few times. And it'll give you quite a comprehensive understanding as to it's, it's, it's highly uncanny. It's usually things that people haven't thought about for a very long time that happened quite a long time ago that seem totally unrelated. But what they do inform is essentially our worldview that there's, through these formative events, we kind of decided this is how the world is. This is what's threatening. This is what I need to avoid. And in needing to in building up that worldview it's kind of led us to think that we have to avoid these certain things we have to control these situations and that's why it's always unique to the individual because every individual has their own experiences and there's always something there's always something that someone else will never have seen in a situation but you have and that's what's unique about our own perspectives so once you have that understanding there's, there's kind of there's both the understanding intellectually, but there's also being able to let go of those traumatic events. And again, that's easier when you're at a subconscious level because consciously we're still in that state where we want to avoid those things. We want to rush away from those memories because they're uncomfortable. But when you're in when you're in hypnosis, it's it's easier to be in those moments and allow them to to sort of move through you. And essentially let go of both the story, but also the, the emotion and the trauma behind those stories. And essentially that bit is, so that, that whole piece is really about de-weeding your garden. And once your, once your garden is de-weeded, then you can give, well, you can plant new seeds, you can plant the, all sorts of ways that you want to be. So kind of going back to the first thing about the, the first aspect of your mind, which is that it receives the words and images the seeds that we plant then in that in that component of the session are really the words and images that you want to feel about life, how you want to be in certain situations, and um, yeah, all all of the sort of everything aligned with that person's intentions as well. And again, our intentions don't aren't always the same. Our intention isn't as simple as I just want to be free of anxiety. It's usually I want to be free of anxiety so that I can do this, be this way, and enjoy this aspect of life. And so all of those things are kind of the seeds that you that you sow in that part of the that part of the session. So how I work with someone is essentially on in this sort of step by step process to kind of leave the baggage behind and start taking okay. on the new ideas. And and also, so obviously you're uh, talking about obviously things that I guess happen in in the past. And that could be a recent past or kind of as you say things that people have forgotten about um obviously then moving forward about the the life you're living now or your future there are also going to be events or 
painful situations that you you know want to move away from or will then kind of form part of your uh, perceptions as you know in the future um do you think that kind of i guess more awareness um of your your own mind or whether it's work through hypnotherapy um or whatever it is then helps you to deal with or process any kind of future traumas in a better way or is it something that you still sort of have to work on in the same way that you have to work on the the previous stuff that's that's kind of affecting your now yeah I think I don't think you develop like an absolute sort of immunity but I think you do develop a, a sort of trust in yourself that you just trust that you'll be able to navigate those sorts of situations again if they were to arise that that um yeah I think I think that's probably the most succinct and the most apt way to, to put it. I don't think it's, I mean, if you experience the same situations again, it's, it, it just, I, I think the exception being this, if, if someone's thinking, well, when I experience the same situations now as I have in the past, that, that totally sets me off. And it does when that past trauma is still there, sort of sitting beneath the surface. When, once everything's resolved, then that's, then, that sort of trigger that was there is no longer there. And so you won't be triggered in the same way. So essentially there's no backlog of emotion that's waiting to come out. It's just responding to the situation which is in front of you. And when you're responding to that situation in front of you, the way that you respond is gonna be just a, it's essentially gonna be a result of just what your current mindset is. And I think once you know that you're able to deal with stuff from your past, you just, it's not it's not sort of as big a deal you respond to the situation as it is you don't respond to to anything else awesome that's that's so cool and I agree that if you kind of have that awareness or if the the big the big thing of uh, see there I go using that word big again huge major um of yeah if that if that situation happens again and you're better able to deal with it then that's just so much less stressful and will cause so much less anxiety than it will have done than it will have done in the past um what um daily practices would you recommend people do to i don't know become better friends with their minds to have a little bit less noise um to be able to because i i kind of i'm definitely um of the feeling that you can uh, work through a lot of stuff yourself if you give yourself that time and um you know I years ago we I my my parents got divorced when I was 16 and my dad wasn't the best dad in the world bless him and uh, and I remember at the time we um were all it was recommended that we all go to to therapy Um, and I remember sitting in that room and this lady literally like sighing asking me so Jocelyn does any of this can you relate any of this to your childhood and I was trying really hard to think and I was like no and I just felt like I was wasting her time and that she didn't want to be there and so I was just like okay this is not for me um but actually you know over the years I've done some some EFT which I know that um you do and I find that to be really really effective and really really quick which suits me (laughs) 
um, and um, and also uh, journaling um, and just kind of yeah trying to be um, more aware of of how I feel in situations um, so I do kind of feel like you can do a lot of work yourself again I feel like we kind of um, you know give that job to other people to fix us um, when actually I kind of think that, that there's an awful lot we can do ourselves and of course you do need help with that um, sometimes as well but we've got a huge amount of, of um, kind of I guess power within us to, to do a lot of good work you know for ourselves what would you what would you kind of daily practices weekly practices what would you recommend yeah, I mean, I think you've basically said all the ones that I was going to advocate. Sorry. No, 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 it's fine. I'm, I'm just going to, I mean, I'm basically just going to underscore everything you've said. So I think I couldn't agree more, but I think absolutely there's a lot of power that we have as individuals. And even in terms of how I see my role, I don't see myself as, I guess, the one doing the fixing. I guess, if anything, really, I'm a facilitator. And if someone, if someone's, I mean, in, the individual is always the most powerful. It's always a case of just all I'm really doing is showing someone where their power actually lies and getting some getting someone to sort of encouraging, I guess, just to, to you actually use it. So in line with that, I think what I've said earlier about the journaling, and you've said it as well, I think journaling is is um one of the best ways to get, I guess, get acquainted with yourself. But um I mean also it's the it's the most sort of indifferent and I guess the best friend, right? If you want someone just to listen, the paper is the best listener because it has nothing to say back. And once you've written stuff out, everything becomes crystal clear, and it's it hasn't really got a space in you. It hasn't. There's no space in your head for it anymore. It's on paper, really. So, yeah, I'm quite a. There's a, there's an idea which is. Um, can't remember the writer now but she calls it morning pages or just first thing in the morning getting up and writing a few pages just in prose whatever is on your mind just splurge it all onto paper and I think um I kind of think about it a little bit like a meditation as well almost as though there's this notion of monkey mind and I kind of feel like monkey mind is always kind of bringing off and saying stuff commenting on the world and if there's no outlet for monkey mind it kind of just sits there and keeps playing havoc but if you're able to put monkey mind on paper in the morning then you kind of walk around your day and you're quite clear so I think yeah it can kind of sometimes when I mention journaling people kind of get a little bit confused as to what journaling actually yeah. is but so they get that perfectionism like what what am I going to write it's just like just just just, <laughs> just let it flow <laughs> yeah yeah I mean it could be could be random words anything just whatever's whatever's on your mind at that time but it's it's quite cathartic just getting stuff out um and then EFT is a great self-care tool so what I typically do is whenever whenever a client comes to me I'll I'll try and arm them with EFT so that they can use it both on those sort of off days but for any I guess past stories that really trouble them um so I definitely recommend some. Just let, let people know what EFT stands for. So EFT stands for Emotional Freedom Technique. And it's it's also called tapping. So you basically tap on a few meridian points on your face and your upper body at the same time as recalling a particular event or whatever it is that it's really versatile. So it can actually be quite a few different things that might be troubling you. But um, essentially, whilst 
recalling whatever it is that you're that you're being troubled by you tap on these meridian points and it it um it's really really strange how you kind of feel uh, i guess emotions kind of just evaporating um is the best way i can put it um but it's yeah it's super super effective um so i guess you'll probably drop a, a link or something in the show notes right so people can check and that's it and I agree with your point of, um, you know, you being the facilitator. So I try and um, work on myself with EFT, but I will also go and see an EFT um, therapist because I know that there's probably, you know, stuff that I can't quite get to and I need somebody to facilitate that. But it's it's nice to know that, you know, I can do a lot of the work myself, um, but also, I, I you know, I can also reach out to to other people if, if, if necessary um and also I remember when I used to work with Katie uh, the sports psychologist you know I I'd, I'd you know kind of come to these like realizations um or aha moments or whatever you call them and she'd say to me you know look it's, it's all in there like it's it's all there you just have to bring it out so again like it's that idea around all of you've got all of the answers nobody else has the answers for you um you've got them but you need to know how to get to them um so yeah yeah ah oh, this has been so cool thank you so so much Duke. I have one more thing one, yeah just because it was kind of on my mind for completeness I think you probably we might have even spoken about this briefly on Saturday but I'm quite a fan of breathing techniques and um especially the Wim Hof method I think I find that um just the physical relaxation that you get from that and the clarity that, that that I find and then even things that just find that I'm kind of overcover quicker from workouts as well. So it just feels like it's a very comprehensive way of just dealing with stress factors in your life is to kind of play around with some of the breathing techniques. So um yeah, are you familiar with Yeah, I know I know um about Wim Hof certainly, but tell t- tell the people. Okay. So um I could could probably speak for ages on Wim Hof stories a fascinating <laughs> fascinating guy but um yeah so he's he's called the ice man you may have heard of him he's got a lot of accolades to his name worked with also been working with scientists um because he does a lot of crazy things in ice cold temperatures which shouldn't be physically possible and he attributes it to this breathing method as well as um cold therapy and I think um Maybe there's one other aspect to his to his kind of philosophy as well, but the baseline thing is his breathing method, and I won't elaborate on that here. But um, it's super powerful. I think just from personal experience, I always experience a a sense of sort of time slowing down, calmness, and that sense that I'm describing. It's not just in your mind; it's almost as though your entire body kind of feels that level of calm as well. So um. Yeah, I definitely recommend people check it yeah. out. And is there is there like, could you give like a, a quick synopsis of of what that what that breath work is like? What what would one do? Uh, as in the, the actual method of it. So he talks about it in doing it in terms of rounds. So you have a round a round consists of between thirty and forty breaths, where you focus on inhaling to the maximum. So you inhale fully, and you just let the breath exhale naturally you don't push it all out so about 30 to 40 breaths of that and then holding your breath for as long as you can um and then you also 
you take a then you take a breath in and take and hold your breath for another 10 seconds or so so that's a round and usually it says you do about three rounds um three rounds will take you between 10 and, and 15 minutes depending on how long you can you can hold your breath so it doesn't take very long at all for yeah, what, yeah, what you yeah. get out okay, of it cool awesome so everybody get on that wim Hof breathing Let's all redu- re- reduce our stress yeah, sure. through some Wim Hof breathing. Um, Suk, um, <laughs> how can people get in touch with you or find more out um, about you? Uh, so the best way would be through my website. So sukkalsi.com, S-U-K-H-K-A-L-S-I.com. And then, um, I mean, my email's on there as well. It's just hi at sukkalsi.com. Um, yeah, I mean, all social stuff's on there as well, but that's probably the best way to get in touch. Yep. Awesome. Amazing. Thank you so, so much for your time. I feel like we now know each other a little bit more now too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Since definitely. I accosted you on Saturday. Um, but brilliant. Thank you. you. It's, been, uh, it's been good fun. <laughs> good. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, yeah, thank you so much for your time and um, all of that good knowledge. And uh, I really, really enjoyed speaking with you. So thanks so much, Zeke. Likewise. Thanks a lot, Jocelyn.